Good morning. Thank you for joining me. Um, if you would, please turn over to the book of John, and uh, we're going to start in the 13th chapter. And we had an excellent service um, this past Sunday. I know I had mentioned that I was going to be recording that. I had some technical difficulties, so I apologize I didn't get that up. But uh, John Crawford came and spoke to us. Um, and unfortunately, I have to try and follow him and, uh, and his sermons. And probably the only similarities you will see between the two of us is that at some point I may get snot on my Bible. Um, if you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but there are many times that I will read a passage of Scripture and I will glean something from it only to come back later and realize how much I actually missed this is part of the great mystery of the Holy Scriptures and how it tends to reveal more and more to you the more that you are actively pursuing Christ, His Word, and His righteousness. You know, it reminds me of when Solomon asked for wisdom and God provided it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but I'll catch myself at times, you know, praying for wisdom like Solomon did while neglecting the very source, um, the very source of wisdom right in front of me, which is the Word. You know, it's, it's as if we expect God to supernaturally grant us some wisdom when He already has through His Word, but we are disappointed when it isn't immediate. You know, He, he tells us that He has given us everything that we need for life and godliness and the knowledge of Jesus Christ through His Word. So with that being said, sometimes the silliest thing, things can bring about um, a spark or maybe a new vantage point from which you can see or read the scriptures. And this has happened, happened to me this week, actually, through uh, something as silly as one sentence. Now, before I get too ahead of myself, I want us to go ahead and look at um, John chapter 13. So I've titled this sermon, Christ the Redeemer. So we're looking in John 13. I'm going to be reading in the ESV. Um, I, I, want to, I want to let the book of John give its own context here. So it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I, I love that. It says he loved them to the end. So I, I didn't want to skim over this verse um, before I got into it. So he loved them to the end of what? Now, some argue that he's talking about the end of his life. But that can't seem to be the case because Christ did not stop loving us when he died, right? Right? So, ab absolutely not, actually. So, to the end of what? Well, we aren't told specifically. So, I'm going to make a bit of an assumption here and through some of the things I've read and studied this week that this end must either be the end of all things or perhaps this end could also simply mean that Christ loved us to completion. And that seems to make more sense to me, um, that Christ's love is complete and he loves us to completion now the reason i bring this up is because it's very important for what we are going to be hearing today 
So as a brief synopsis uh, of our setting, here we see Christ and his disciples at the Last Supper, and Christ begins washing their feet, you know, to demonstrate that he came to serve the will of God, and then Christ begins to tell them plainly that he will be betrayed. Then Jesus tells Judas to go out away from him to to, to, uh, fulfill his betrayal, Um, and then Jesus begins to explain to his disciples that he must die. And he does so plainly, but they still think that he is speaking in parable. So I want to jump over to verse 36. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So th- here we have Simon Peter that we all know. Um, the Simon Peter that makes bold proclamations, and, and, but he truly believes them, right? And, and he does so here. He truly believes that he will behave in such a noble way that I will lay down my life for you. Yet Jesus knows his heart as he does ours. And Christ then exposes this very thing to Peter, um, you know, to bring, to bring about a personal revelation of how truly undignified and common Peter actually is in regards to righteousness. So let's look at verse 38 again. He says, Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So to be clear, Peter probably was very noble in our eyes. You know, we see this expressed numerous times throughout Scripture. However, what Christ is telling him here and us is that we ought not to think so highly of ourselves because there really isn't much of a difference between ourselves and the lost. You know, the only real difference is that we have put our hope and trust in Christ alone. But that is the only difference that makes a difference. So if you are not aware of the reality of your depravity, then you may find yourself full of pride in your own unrighteousness. You know, being wise in your own eyes rather than being completely subservient to the authority of Christ. And we see this constantly, um, even within the church. So this week, um, there was a conversation that was had. I don't want to give names, but there was a conversation that was had uh, where a self-proclaimed Christian said they never questioned the nature of the morality of their decision, uh, of their decisions that they make, right? They never question the nature of the morality of their decisions, meaning they do not have to question whether or not what they did was right or wrong. And their, their proof, uh, if that's what you want to call it, of this was that they said that they believe God gave them a good head on their shoulders. So God must trust that they can discern for themselves what is right. 
The only thing that comes to mind when I hear that is, oh, you wicked people of Babylon. Right? That's exactly how Babylon behaved, is that they did what was right in their own eyes. And that's exactly how we sometimes behave, which demonstrates how we actually think, right? Our behavior demonstrates what we think and what we believe to be true. You know, that even even though God has commanded us to do one thing, that if I do what is contrary, then it is somehow okay because I believe that it is right. This is idolatry. And anyone who thinks this way has made themselves their own idol. They no longer worship God. They no longer worship the one true God, the holy, just God of the scriptures, but they now worship themselves. So we must take care and pay attention to our own way of thinking. So um, we're going to jump over to chapter 18 here for just a minute. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so chapter 18, we see, just again to give you, to get some context here, we see Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Judas comes in with some officers and chief priests to arrest Jesus. And then Peter, noble Peter, defends Christ, right, to the point to where he is willing to risk his life. He pulls out his sword and he cuts the ear off of one of the soldiers and Christ rebukes him for it. Well, again, to, to summarize this, uh, Jesus Christ is arrested. He's being brought uh, not only to the Pharisees, but to Pilate. And um, Peter then is following. We're told that Peter and John follow Jesus as he is led to be sentenced. So let's look at chapter 18. We're going to look through verses 15 through 27. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with, with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, Bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off asked, Did I not see you in the garden 
with him. And Peter denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Now, I once saw this fantastic cinematic depiction of this scene uh, when the rooster crows. Um, I don't know that it was accurate, but but it was uh, it was a beautiful depiction of what had happened. And um, what 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 occurred is after Peter had denied it for the third time, and he heard the rooster crow immediately. He understood and knew, which he did. But in this cinematic depiction, Peter and Jesus' eyes met. And Peter looked away in shame. Could you imagine? Not only has he betrayed the Christ, but now Peter understands that Christ knew all along that he would deny him. Could you imagine how you would feel if you were... Peter, you know, the thought occurs, he knew this the whole time that I would deny him, yet he still washed my feet. He still ate with me and loved me, and this is how I repay him? I am worthless. I am disgusting and vile, and I am no better than Judas. I would imagine that Peter considered many of these things. The immense guilt and shame that he felt must have been insurmountable. And But he wasn't alone because Judas also felt these things. So much, in fact, that it drove him to commit suicide. Yet Peter lived and quite possibly decided that he would live out the rest of his days in shame. Could you imagine knowing that you denied the Christ and, and, and saying, from this day forward, I will live the rest of my life in shame because I denied the Christ. Now, if this was the end of Peter's story, it would be sad indeed. But praise God, it does not end here for Peter or for us. So we're going to fast forward a bit. Um, I'm going to try to summarize some of this. Uh, All of this is important, so make sure you read it. Um, But just for time's sake, uh, let me, let me paraphrase. So Christ goes to the, to that terrible cross, a thing of torture and shame that men meant for evil, but Christ transformed it into something glorious. He willingly gives up his life and has the wrath of God that we stored up for ourselves poured out on him. And he received the justice that we deserved. He died and was buried in the tomb and then resurrected himself from the dead. Then he began to reveal himself to some people in his new glorified body. So this is where we're at. Let's look over in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 25. <clears throat> it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. 
they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able excuse me, so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, uh, heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in, uh, came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire uh, in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them. Bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them, um, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books. That would be written. 
this brings me to what I wanted to focus on today. If, if you're watching, um, uh, you can see the picture I just put up. If you're listening, most of us have seen there, there's a statue of Christ with his arms stretched out wide overlooking a city. This is in uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and it's called Christ the Redeemer. What an appropriate title. The definition of Redeemer is someone who regains possession of something in exchange for payment. Listen to that again. The definition of Redeemer is someone who regains possession of something in exchange for payment. There is the gospel in a sentence. This is precisely what Christ has done for us. He created us. We belong to him. We belong to him to begin with. And then we rebelled and blasphemed his holy name by denying his sovereignty. But what does, what does Christ do? He doesn't just claim us as his, but he purchases us back under his, righteous, um, his righteousness, his authority, and his mercy through the blood of his son. And by placing our faith, hope, and trust entirely on him, Christ has promised to redeem us back to himself and out of the bondage of sin. This is the good news. This is the gospel. The gospel is that sinners can be reconciled back to a just and holy God. But one of the most astounding things is that he does not stop there. He doesn't just redeem us in spirit, but he redeems us also in the flesh. Look at your life. For those of you that know me, look at my life. Prior to salvation, what did your life consist of? It was, it was entirely engulfed in selfish desires and ambitions and unrighteousness, uncleanness and wickedness, deceit and idolatry. But now, by the grace of God, you have been saved by grace through your faith in Him. And now you can be called a child of the Most High God. Do you know why I wanted to talk about this today and this week? It's because I wanted to show you how great and gracious our God is. Until this week, I thought that Christ asked Peter if he loved him three times, to emphasize to Peter the importance and the gravity of his confession. And while that might be true, Christ also redeemed Peter in the flesh by providing the will and the way for Peter to be redeemed from his denial of Christ. Now, I I asked before, could you imagine denying him hearing the rooster crow and and looking him in the eyes and you finally understanding who you actually are. But let me ask you this. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine that Jesus Christ, he's asking Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And then Christ asks again, do you love me? And Peter says again, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
But then Christ asked Peter a third time. And it said that Peter was grieved. Now, I believe that he grieved, that he was grieved because he understood what Christ was doing for him in that moment. That for each time, Peter said, I do not know him. I do not know the man. That for each time, Christ has now given him a way to be completely forgiven, to be completely redeemed. He was, when he was asking him those three times, he was completely forgiving him of his denial. And he was giving Peter the courage and he was giving Peter the boldness to now answer rightly. And by doing so, he was providing Peter his redemption. And Peter understands this the third time that Christ asked him. And Peter is so overcome with love and joy and peace and gratitude and humility that he is grieved. And so he answers, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Christ is the great redeemer. And when he redeems you, he does so completely. Praise God. If you do not have complete assurance of the security of your redemption, I urge you to seek the scriptures and seek counsel with someone that you have confidence in as a man or woman of God and ask them if they have confidence in in your salvation. And if not, why not? Examine yourself. No true brother or sister in Christ will embarrass you or criticize you for seeking truth because we love you and we want to see you redeemed as well. But one of the most common things that modern churches get wrong today is that they say redemption is free. It is not. Redemption came at the greatest cost We ought to treasure it with the reverence that it deserves. Christ is the great Redeemer. And praise God that He redeems us even greater than we can imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, thank you for what you have given me. Father, thank you for new life. Thank you for a spiritual rebirth. Thank you for for claiming me as your son. Father, thank you for your redemption and your long-suffering with me. That for 20 years, I blasphemed your name by denying you. Father, thank you for your grace. Father, we ask this week that you give us the same courage and boldness that you gave to Peter. 
that after this, that Peter went out and presented your message to all peoples, that he did so, we know, with boldness and with courage. Father, give us that same fire. Father, help that that fire at Pentecost. Father, help it. Give us, give us something of the sort, Father, through your Spirit. Let the Spirit that is indwelling within us have us to speak and to utter as we ought to. Help us to proclaim the gospel and understand what our true purpose is here. Father, we know that you have forgiven us and redeemed us also that your glory might be shown to the whole world. Give us opportunity to, to show gratitude. Give us an opportunity to work in your kingdom. We know that we get in the way. We know that your way is better. We know that, that the only reason that you even let us help is because you know that it brings us joy. But God, give us opportunity this week to do this very thing. Let us show someone that we love the redemptive power of the blood on that cross that was so terrible and so glorious. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for us. And we praise and glorify your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.